0: It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hairton Audio Podcast. So, this week, we've just had an absolute banger released by a three-piece electronic uh, artist, band outfit called Wave Dash. now we've heard of wavedash um from the secret sky festival that porter robinson hosts but uh this one was really cool because not only does it have like a a new disco sort of flair with a lot of electronic influences in but it also has um i'm gonna butcher his name without looking at it tori e moi and Maddian. and i am a big Maddian fan Um, And it's just a very, very cool song. And the the song is called All Your Love. And it really does hit the things that you want from the sort of electronic... I don't want to call them pop, but it's very pop forward. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just... It's a really well-written song, and it's really groovy, and it, it just hits in all the right ways, especially like when you talk about the production of it, like the production is pretty much flawless in that sense. And um, it's just, it's just groovy and cool and party music, which is, you know, it's not in short, su- short supply, but it's very specific and it's, it's really feel good. Feel good is that I've seen a lot of people saying like, uh, even Porter Robinson, um, retweeted the clip of the video and said, you know, summer vibes because that's very much what it is. It's yeah. a very, very summery song for the start of February. Um, and also on the track, like I said, there's French producer Madian uh, and it's Tore E Moy. I'm assuming I said Tari at the start because I was trying to visualize how it was written down, but he is also featured on uh, Chromier's uh, one of their biggest hits um, which I'm now blanking on. Uh, I'm gonna find <laughs> come it. Come alive, come alive, yes, Pierre. Yeah, it is come alive. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's sort of like a, a very, very big collaboration for me because I'm not that familiar with Wave Dash, but I am familiar with both the featuring artists and um, Maddian's sort of verse in this sounds almost straight like it's been ripped out of a Good Faith song. Which it is, is very similar to like the Good Faith era Madian and stuff, which we've, we've both been massive fans of. Yeah, it's it's just very cool. And, you know, I it, I didn't really expect a song to, to be like this because like you say, you expect this type of music to release in the summer months. Yeah, that's very true, actually, because I think people don't want to throw these tracks out too early in case they end up being like old news by the time summer hits because you know playlisting and getting music out can be very fickle and I think a lot of people even like bigger and more established artists are always worried that they're going to be like a blip on the radar in instead of being like a mainstay so I think you know scheduling a release can be quite intimidating but then there's the other aspect of well why don't we put it out early and hope we get you know a lot of traction so by the time summer rolls around the song's already, you know, got a little bit of popularity to it so it can actually then get the the big sort of playlist in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you sort of see that with like the the release cycle psychology of do you go for like the first song of summer or do you go for like the last song of summer in like September because the, the sort of hit with this energy are like a lot of major label releases – all throughout like basically a full six month radius but like this is really early which is why it's such a nice surprise when the weather's so gloomy in the uk to be able to listen to a brand new song like this um but uh i am interested to see if wave dash's full project is going to be like this type of genre because they've done three eps i think so far and um this I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what their Secret Sky set was like when we watched it. Um, I can't remember if that... I was just Googling to see which Secret Sky it was, because it was one of the online-only ones that we saw, and that was sort of my, my introduction towards a lot of this sort of um, American dance culture scene that is spearheaded by Porter Robinson and his sort of tastes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but there is a lot of cool artists in that bubble that we've discovered through that one festival really particularly i think it was the 2020 festival and the 2021 festival they had a very good like yeah youtube set and it was very accessible which is nice because you know everybody was looking for something to do you know at home and that was a really great thing to be just be able to stick it on and there was a lot of paid live streams which we definitely went for we did quite a few of them because um it was nice number one to support these things but also i do think you know we're seeing this now with veeps and other streaming platforms having like a concert streaming slash live stream service that's dedicated is definitely something people are interested in people will pay money for it you know i don't think everybody should get fleeced for it but you know i mean especially you can be quite privileged in like England and America and, and some of the other countries, you know, go, well, if I want to see an act live, I'll go see him on tour. Well, a lot of countries in the world don't have that opportunity because a lot of the world tours are not really well tours. They're very very limited. So, you know, if you lived in a place that was a lot less accessible for these gigs, these sort of services like Veeps and like all these live streams and even the YouTube live streams, they're like a the only point of contact you can get to see or hear a a band you really like live, which I think is really cool. I mean, you know, we've got all this online content and content creation. Why not have some sort of live element to that with music? Because, you know, nobody can get enough music. You know, everybody used to say, well, haven't haven't all the songs been written or, or all the good songs been written? But well, I think we're past that in terms of music and musicology because You'll hear a song and it'll just do something different. And, you, you know, statistically, people would argue, well, all the good songs have been written, but the problem is not all the good songs were produced properly. Yeah, and I, I do think, like, these guys are really good at production. Like, the full... I'm just looking at the, the 2020 uh, lineup for for Secret Sky, and uh, Wave Dash actually went on after Porter Robinson in the, in the billing. Uh, which is crazy to me. But um, I believe there was on Skrillex's label, that's where they started. Um, right, right. But uh, yeah, like you say, the production is on on another level for a lot of these songs. In a way you wouldn't think about, because when we talk about good production, a lot of people think like uh, insane drops or very heavy music. Yeah. But this is like good production, like... Um, like silk sonic is good production what this is doing is this is creating like a vibe and like a groove with the modern tool set that evokes lots of different sort of sort of timelines but what this is like is this isn't in, in the manner that silk sonic is very much like set in like the 70s like the early or late 70s yeah what this is is it's like the people who made that late seventies disco walking into a modern studio with modern tools. This is what they would come out and then with. embracing the technology. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That's more what this sort of song gives me. So it's it's just like a very modern, very classic sounding sort of like um I, I don't want to say like uh and B soul song. what well, I was going to say it is. is is it? I mean, neo soul isn't right because that to me feels more stripped down. I mean. Um, I'm trying to think about the genres, the genre classifications that you could call this. It's awful because when you type wave dash genre, it just says dance electronic. Yeah. And and you know, it isn't really. It's something deeper. But um, I mean, there's loads of acts in this sort of area in music and some of them are rock acts, some of them are dance acts, some of them are are solo and and duos and stuff, but operating in like the pop stroke rock stroke electronic sphere. And it's like, how can there be in such different, it's a bit like synthwave really, where you've got these people coming from completely different places, but the music they're putting out is very similar. And that is like one of those things where if, if like a rock act and an electronic act can reach the same conclusion what genre is that that they're making? Cause it's not really either. Yeah. Because when they did their live set, um, obviously it's like a three piece band playing like guitar, bass and drums or like keyboards, bass. Well, the problem with keyboards is you could have the keyboard being played by the bass player doing like a moog synth or, or whatever. So it's, it's basically, yeah, like two instrument guys and a drummer, like that's yeah. how the live sets have been. Well, when they did secret sky anyway, um, that's what that's what it looked like. So I was very surprised seeing like a, a band sort of um, rendition of this type of music because obviously this is a little bit more like uh, natural. But the tracks they played at Secret Sky was a lot more electronic sounding. Were they slightly like in the future bass camp? I'm yeah, trying to, I, I think like I remember the performance slightly. Yeah. Um, but looking at the Secret Sky lineup as well is very funny because obviously we've got to shout out DJ Patara, which if you know, you know, that's all I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you look at like the other sort of people on the set list, to so sort of put Wave Dash in like a, a group of like, like-minded like sort of music, you have San Holo, you have Jai Wolf, you have Madden, obviously, Porter Robinson, Wave Dash, A.G. Cook, which works on so much stuff. Those are the ones that I am more familiar obviously there's lots of artists on this bill that i personally don't listen to as much as well yeah um but it's a very niche sort of group but they're all doing like uh different things but within the same realm of like uh this sort of very cool like say so you could say it's like american future based like people like san hola but then some of them's more disco well, like say Madian and, and Madian walks the line between like future bass and disco in places you know a lot of the um a lot of the pure electronic stuff tends to sound quite dark as well though I think about you know some of San Holo's hits and they are yeah, yeah. dark and cold sounding because that's that's the sort of style of music you know because it's coming out of dubstep essentially and uh you know that that sort of style of music comes from several different places, but I feel like there's two main sides to dubstep being like the more dub based music and then the more electronic based music that comes together to make dubstep. Yeah. Because like a lot of the dubstep festivals are like joined with drum and bass festivals because dubstep's drum and bass, but halftime. But if you're looking at jump up and like a traditional drum and bass, uh, sorry, not jump up, a traditional dubstep sort of act, then they're very, very similar because, you know, the the noises you hear in Jump Up are very dubstep-orientated anyway. And, you know, that's just one facet of, like, electronic music. And um, what these guys that do Secret Sky have that I really like is it's not a focus on specifically, like, heavy sort of like growls and like jump up drops and stuff that you would typically hear in a lot of electronic music. What what they have is like a melodic sort of sensibility combined with like a, a very ethereal sound design palette. Like um when you think about um people in this scene like Maddie and that, but also like one that comes to my mind is is Lax City. That that was very like uh just like ambient fast you just lots, lots, and lots of stuff going on in those tracks, but like, it's very hard to pick it out from from saying just synths with electronic drums. Like for a lot of the the stuff, because they 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 all have. I mean, and, and then you go into, like, um, the subgenre hell that is this sort of side of electronic music as well. It's very difficult without, like, a, a chart to tell you exactly which tempo is what genre doing what thing. It's like the memes where it's the ocean and it starts out pop yeah, disco yeah. and then it keeps going down until it's, like, the Mariana Trench and it's got, like... Um, I'm trying to think, like, the splitter core gets down there and, and like... Oh, I know, um, there's some like that, that are just obscene. And uh, then some of just the ambient noise sort of, noise core, like... Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, just ambient loops and sounds also get in there, too. But um what I was going to... Going back to All Your Love, which is the track we're talking about, um I think if you stripped it back to, like, just an acoustic guitar or piano and a vocal, it would literally just be like a soul song. Like, that's what we're trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. So it's all this production laid on the top that makes it so groovy. But ultimately, like, it's sort of hyping up a a completely different type of song than it would be normally, you know, because a lot of pop songs are pop music by default. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they sound the way they do, because they're, they're meant to be catchy and a lot of them a lot of them can be quite clinical sounding whereas because this is coming from like a soul mentality with like the actual like vocal flicks and licks are like all leaning back into like a soul R and b thing like you say silk sonic's actually a really good comparison they're in completely different worlds but they're sort of coming from the same direction in terms of songwriting and that's where the production can really take this song out of its regular target audience and move it over to a completely different set of people who might find that they they really like this song, but maybe they don't know why they like it. Yeah, and I think the other thing is like, this is like um, if you was to to try and do, like s- say you're doing a college project and somebody said you need to make a soul song. This is like if you make a soul song, but using none of the right instruments and none of the right processes and effects yeah yeah because yeah. obviously all the vocals have a lot of coloration and effects on it's quite hard to pick out what exactly is going on on some of the vocals on these tracks because at this point i don't know whether madian's also tuned or whether he has just got a very heavy processing chain on but he's singing that you know because it's so hard to say like like because obviously a lot of the a lot of the people in these these sort of genres that they're, they're practicing and they I think they're very like heartfelt about their craft, but they're also not afraid to use the effects that they want to use. Because obviously Madian um, started the Good Faith era. He he and Porter Robinson, Nature and Good Faith, retrospectively, they both did a lot to their voices because they're electronic artists more than they are singers. They're electronic artists coming out into the the sort of like front to sing the songs but maybe took their voice away with all of their effects and processes well i was going to say i think there was a certain maybe uncomfort to putting their voice out like you would a pop singer so maybe because you know their full craft is you know affecting and manipulating and and sampling essentially in ways they thought it would be, you know, more suitable to do that to their voices. And there are sections on both albums where the voices are quite natural sounding. You know, it's not that they, they haven't been like destroyed the entire time. But what I found very interesting is the way like Port Robinson used like a bunch of Chase Bliss pedals, essentially from what we've seen on the live coverage yeah, yeah, to affect his voice, to create his like essentially like an alter ego voice for the sound of, of um, nurture and um, I would imagine Madian has also experimented with similar setups, be it software or hardware. We know he's big on Ableton and Andy's big on FL Studio, now, right? Yeah, I believe, I believe both of them started on FL Studio. Yeah. I may be incorrect, but uh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure Madian did as well. But uh, like I say, if Porter Robertson's using um, these Chase Bliss pedals, these actual hardware guitar pedals to affect his voice live – it would not surprise me if he did that in the studio as well. Because the only thing is, when you're getting down to the, the bones of it, when you're running your voice through so many different, maybe pitch shifters and formant effects, that can actually be rendering differently every time you cycle through your session, say in Ableton. Yeah, yeah. So at a certain point, it's a lot easier to deal with it, especially if you are, you know, sorting out, D's in and pops and clicks and and like vocal artifacts which I would imagine there is a lot of when affecting your voice this heavily it would make a lot more sense to do all that manipulation outside the box do it all in audio first and then what you have is what you have and you can start addressing any of these artifacts in the production afterwards yeah I was just listening to like Maddian's verse on on this track and I was trying to think is there form automation where it's like ducking in and out, you know, like, um, or like just, just subtly sliding down and then going back up, you know, without you really realizing it is sort of a bit like trying to pick out what is going on with like Galantis's vocals. Yeah. Where so, so much to think about with you, their vocals. You've no idea where the vocalist even starts like you could, you could have it and it could start on minus two on a form and, and you would be none the wiser because it's a bit like when you speed a pitch up, uh, you know, like the pitch and time up say on a vinyl or on DJ decks. If you start listening to a song at the wrong pitch and temper and somebody, you know, like, uh, puts it back to where it should be. It's very, very jarring for the listener because yeah. you have set your ears up and gone. This is what I'm expecting. And then if you just hit down a key, on like DJ software or anything, it, it you, your brain sort of goes, Well, what was I listening to then? You know, yeah. what is, is this one right or is it down another key from here? Because um it's very tough like psychologically on your brain when you when you're adapting to like a sound, if somebody just changes the full nature of that sound, um, particularly by just like removing a process or like shifting it up or down a key, it, it's very bizarre. I don't know what it is psychologically that makes like it satisfying to have the notes like in pitch. Presumably there is a, a like a psychological thing that, that you your brain wants that note to snap in pitch. But it can also like like chorus in and sort of the waviness of pitch, like the naturalness. But there's a sweet spot where I suppose, you know, as long as it's close enough it your brain will sort of shift it in a way to the right note. But if it falls outside, it must be some somewhat to the tune of like 15-20 cents, where your brain's like, no, that's that's like that's not the note that you know you're aiming for. There's that weird like sort of clashing and dissonance that happens in your head. And some people like that a bit more than others, but um, you know, I do think You know, even when you listen to a a voice that's auto-tuned, there's still glides in a lot of these, you know, and there's still, you know, pitch artifacting because auto-tune can only work so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, uh, depending on the settings, um, you might have it react slowly to your voice. Uh, For anybody who's unaware with, like, how hardware auto-tunes work, like, if you have it set slow it will take like a second to flick up or take like a few milliseconds, depending on how you, you've done it, to flick that pitch up to the note it should be. Or the setting you hear most, or what we'll call like the T-Pain setting, is seven, which is just no, as it's fast. Zero. It's zero. Um, I, I'm confusing it. No, zero is <laughs> the full the full deal. The full one more time T-Pain That's the the share one. Which corrects it as fast as possible. Seven would be, and this is like the same if you're using like the Antares Auto-Tune Access. It's all about the speed wheel. If you put the speed on zero, the numbers probably line up. Um, If you put the, the speed on zero, it takes no time in theory to correct. So you get that hard stepped sound that everybody really loves. And then if you put it on you know, in the middle and and later on, it sounds more natural. So, you know, if you were singing a really, really slow song and, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to get there. You're going to get there. Then you could set it on quite a slow setting, so... As the notes actually sustain, you always get there, but it you know it doesn't really sound to to most people's ears yeah. as if you are auto-tuned because you know there's no steppage happening. We always use the word steppage, I think we made it up, but you know, there's a lot of the songs on radio where there's like these like four note trills and, and like runs where really like you can you can do them without these sort of snapping effects. And these, you know, corrective effects, but the discipline level to do some of these, like four-four note trills and stuff, it would be very, very, you know, disciplined. And then in a lot of these cases, even if you're a singer who's good enough to do that, have you got an engineer who's good enough to let that slide in their brain instead of zooming in and looking at it and then going, "Well, this one, this, the third one in this uh, little flick-up is slightly out," so let's just you know, bring that down in pitch correction. Well, I think a lot of the time, the reason why people use Melodyne is to let the vocal sort of hang out a bit. They're not going to sit there and destroy it. But then if there is that little flick up, that like a three note, four note flick up, that's where the engineer goes, right? Where's Melodyne at? We need to make sure that's perfect because they're the things that, I don't know why, they they stand out a lot in these productions. Um, But also I think that's really the most margin for error in it it can sound very polished if all that's perfect, but it depends again as well. Like we we often say, and I think this argument, if we're having a little chat about autotune, comes up a lot with Led Zeppelin. Like Led Zeppelin, if there's people on Instagram and like on YouTube and stuff who do, that, they're correct, you know, these Led Zeppelin tracks. And correct is a very interesting word for Led Zeppelin fans. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they put all the drums in time, because the drums are all not... In time, so in time in terms of a quantized grid in a session like Ableton or whatever, Led Zeppelin is not in time, in like standard time like that. It is, you know, a lot looser. It's to John Bonham's time, his interpretation of time. Yeah, and some of these songs, a lot of these songs, I'm not 100% sure what their stance on clicks being like the actual old school analog click tracks would have been. Um, Or if they have, you know, they used to, Back in the day, have somebody else sat there trying to keep time as well. So, the idea is like the two drummer theory, these two people keeping time together would somewhat keep them in more natural flow of time, yeah, which yeah. is a popular thing if you want to have no clicks, but you don't want it like too loose, like in terms of the fluctuation of the tempo. And so they're less in time, but they're also less in pitch because the guitars would be going out of tune and the guitars may not have been tuned perfectly either. Because they didn't have digital tuners either. Yeah, and the ones they did have probably they didn't want to use because they'll have been so experienced as well. They'll have just tuned up by ear and, and that'll have been half of their sound, Is you know, the way, like that. There was talking on, um, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was talking about sweetening tuning where you tune. I think it was Justin Hawkins. Oh, was it uh, Justin Hawkins? Right, again, very good stuff if you want to listen to his and watch his stuff. But sweetening tuning where you tune flat and sharp on your instruments deliberately because it makes it sound better because there's this full theory as well where they say that, you know, standard pitch is actually not perfect. It's not, you know, like the... I I can't remember what all the It's not the ideal harmonic sort of like the first, fourth, and fifth are ideal, but the other notes are ideal semitones away from each other. Yeah, because in order to space them equally with the technology, certain notes had to be sharp and flat of each other in the the perfect, there's a word for it, and I don't know what it is, it's going to take too long to figure it out, but that's what I mean, so my point is, like, you know, you take a band like Led Zeppelin, if if you snap them all to a grid in everything with all the the pitch of the band and Robert Plant and John Bonham, you know, you you get a product that doesn't really sound like Led Zeppelin anymore. Yeah, you do. And um, this is where the argument of correction and computer music versus people in a room, it's the full argument of authenticity and what does authenticity mean to different people. Because to swing this thing all the way back around again, you take an artist like Maddy in, and you say, you can't use your tools anymore. You've got to do everything straight off an instrument and off a microphone. Madian will he will sound like Madian, but he will not sound like the Madian you hear on the records because he can perform to ear level. I mean, he's done these uh, more acoustic-y things, hasn't he, as well? Yeah, these, these sort of stripped-down performances. You know, this is not... Uh, this is a, in no way a slant on his sort of talent because he's very very talented even as a performer but it will not sound like the Maddian with his production because that is part of his sort of authentic voice is the way he produces it's the same with this Wave Dash track they could have sat down gone to a studio played this on electric pianos bass a real drum kit and had a completely different song and it like I say, it would have been a completely different song. Same melody, same harmony, same words. It would not have been this song. Yeah, we're, we're very much on the camp that production does a whole lot more than the actual melodic content, particularly now. like It's very hard to look somebody in the eye and say, well, a chord progression and a melody is more important than the production because you could play somebody two songs that have the same chord progression and the same melody in two completely different styles, you know, and like you say, with production, you can make those melodies sound very, very different yeah. and dress them in a way. You might have one that's double time on drums or one that's four to the floor, one that, you know, and just shuffle everything round rhythmically and then shuffle all the sound design and like one with sidechain, one where it's reggae guitar, and then suddenly it's very difficult for an average listener to say, well, this song sounds like that song. Because a lot of people only listen for two things. They listen for tempo and they listen to the melody of the vocal. And if they can sing along with it and think it goes together, and I've done this a few times, there's a few songs where I go, this sounds exactly like that song. And then you play them both next to each other on a DJ deck and you go, they don't even sound right next to each other. Never mind." When you actually start picking them apart, because that's your brain saying this reminds me of that, but only maybe an interval on the vocals or yeah, one of the four notes or whatever or, might evoke it. You know, you clock that they're both major, but you and they're using the same sort of dominant notes, but you don't clock that they're in different keys. That's the other thing. They might be using, like you said, the same interval, but they're in different keys, and you know, they may they may even be in completely different um, sort of scales but you're clocking an interval that is a coincidence between both scales. It's it's very interesting music. You know, it's funny. You think, what could you do if there was more than 12 notes? I mean, people like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are doing the microtonal thing. But I don't know. I feel like 12 notes is a lot to work with. And I think the, the thing that makes it difficult in terms of the court of law is your brain saying, well, I think that sounds alike. And then somebody else can listen to the thing listen to the two together and say, well, I don't. And it's, it is completely subjective. Yeah. 100%. Right. That's been our thoughts. And we've gone into a little bit of like a, a sort of like music theory debate towards the end there, which and was an very And ethics, fun. definitely a bit of an ethics debate. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Wave Dash do with the other songs from this project, because this one has got my attention and uh, let us know what you think of this song down in the polls and stuff below and thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening